RiskWatch is a due diligence and compliance podcast featuring interviews with leading compliance, investigations, and research professionals to shed light on global corruption and compliance-related issues. RiskWatch is brought to you by VCheck Global, a business-to-business provider of due diligence, background checks, employment screening, document retrieval, and specialized research of both business entities and individuals. Seth Harlan of RiskWatch here, joined by Nancy Jacobson, Council Global Compliance and Ethics at United Airlines. Nancy, it's great to have you on RiskWatch. Thanks for having me, Seth. When we were introduced, I immediately pulled up your LinkedIn profile. What caught my attention was your non-traditional path to compliance. Specifically, before heading to law school, you'd earned both undergraduate and graduate degrees in English, and we're working as a college advisor at the University of Chicago. How's your non-traditional professional path enhanced your compliance work? Well, it's interesting. First of all, I think just being older when I graduated from law school, I was actually 47 when I graduated, was was a huge help in everything I did in the practice of law. Um, it's, you know, it might sound trite to say that real world experience makes a difference, but it is, it's actually... Um, probably the biggest asset that I had as a junior lawyer was that I was not a young person, even though I was a young lawyer. And the work as a college advisor specifically um, was more helpful and more similar than people think that it would be. Uh, I, I worked as an advisor at the University of Chicago. I had a stable of, I don't know, 80, 90 students that I was responsible for shepherding through and making sure that they followed all of the all of the steps and processes and regulations that they needed to graduate. And um, they would come in, some of them doing fine and not needing much help from me. And then there would be crises that would be huge problems I had to help them address. It's not very different from being a compliance lawyer where different um, different parts of the company all have their sets of rules that they have to follow. They sometimes need somebody to remind them what they are. Sometimes they're doing fine without help. And then crises spring up and you help people when they come along. And in both situations, if you just seem like a person enforcing the rules and not a person there to help, then you're not going to be able to do as much for folks, whether whether as a compliance lawyer or working with students. You're our first guest from the airline industry, so I got to ask, what's the third-party environment look like for United? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. We have all kinds of third parties that we rely on around the world compared to compared to a company that does something like manufacturing. You know, we don't we don't have big plants or or you know, employee presences in most of the countries we fly to. We are our job is taking people and stuff in and out. So we rely on third parties in many parts of the world for sales, for work at the airports, for, you know, getting your luggage on and off the planes, um, you know, and then some of the traditionally higher risk areas like customs brokers. We don't, we're not moving as much stuff as uh, a manufacturing company, but we are moving things, um, you know, uh, aircraft parts, et cetera. Um, we rely on third parties for that. Uh, sometimes rely on third parties for um, other uh, other areas that seem high risk to me, like um, overflight payments. When we fly over a country that we don't actually land in, we still 
uh, pay something to the government there. Sometimes we have an agent who helps us with that. So, so we have sort of untraditional uh, government touch points for some of our, our agents, but those are, those are some of the ones that we are careful to have really close relationships with and make sure that we feel comfortable with people who are doing that kind of work for us. You've painted such a fascinating risk picture and you really highlighted the vital role third-party risk management plays in the airline industry and for United. What are the main third-party risks you're concerned about or that United tries to mitigate through its screening program? Honestly, for me, the biggest risks are always in areas where um, where there's where there's a potential choke point and huge time pressures. So um, the biggest worries for me are not sort of in the day-to-day operations when things are going well, but more when something goes badly. So, you know, you're, you have an airplane that goes, that has to land in a place that it didn't expect to and is waiting for a new part. That would be the, the highest risk situation for me because the pressure is so great and you might have something that has to move across borders. Um, and when you're, when you're in those kind of moments, um, you don't. You can't be as reliant on processes and procedures because things are, by definition, unusual. So, to the extent that we have third parties who help us with those kind of problems, um, those are the places where not only do we do our typical due diligence of looking at the background, requesting due diligence questionnaires and certifications, etc. Um, those are third parties that I like to either meet myself. Um, you know, sometimes even in the interviewing process, or we also have some regional compliance managers in our program, and those people work really closely with the business, the business people at United who have those relationships, and they often also will have interactions with the third parties themselves. Um, That helps give me a sense of comfort that we're engaging people that I trust and I'm comfortable with, I feel like it also gives the third party a message about what compliance means at United. Um, Sometimes I feel like just by showing up for something, um, I'm telling them, wow, they had compliance in the room at this, at this interview or this business discussion where I wouldn't expect to see compliance. And it gives me a chance to say some things, but it also just gives me a chance to project how important it is to us and how we really are a company where we would rather something, we want things to go fast. Everybody wants things to go fast. We would rather something go slower than have a third party do something wrong on our behalf. And just to piggyback off, you just mentioned uh, questionnaires. So automated TPRM platforms have become a must-have for large global companies like United. And just aside from screening capability, how important is a platform's ability to create and distribute questionnaires, as well as training materials, uh, both to third parties and internally? It's it's um it's really important and helpful to have that both in terms of you know, making it easy to get things out. But then it's also important in terms of our record keeping um, so that, you know, the system not only c- creates the the questionnaires and, and background checks and everything else that we need, but it also, it keeps a record of, of what we've done. And that's, um, that's important in the day-to-day. And it's even more important if anything goes wrong. And uh, I, I think... 
I, I think you're right that those that the systems are must-haves, um, and they're a starting point for having interactions with third parties and also just for training our own people about the the processes that we have around it. But I, I do feel like I do feel like they're just kind of a baseline and a starting point. And for any situation that's high risk, I, I think we have to be in touch. When I say we, I mean me and the regional compliance managers. We have to be in touch both with the business people at United who have those relationships and then in some situations with the third parties themselves. And I, I feel like regular in-person, by which I mean, you know, by by phone or on screen most of the time um, is, uh, is is really important. And otherwise you're just, you could be just compiling a lot of paper. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You touched on the role that your team plays, you know, especially when you're using an automated system and escalation. So just like what type of screening hits require your team's attention? Um, I, I mean, you know, the most, the most obvious thing would be if, uh, if you actually have some kind of wrongdoing in the past for for a third party that you might not use that you might want to use, and um, you know you could think um, that the that the response is just not to use any third party that has wrongdoing in their past. Um, but I, I, I take a different view of that for a couple reasons, and you know, in different in different levels. So. Um, Sometimes if a company has really had a problem and they've had to investigate and clean house and work with the government because of it, it can almost be the best time to work with that third party. They, you know, they now have all of their new compliance programs in place, uh, possibly a new compliance person that you can talk to and find out what, what they've done to, to mitigate the risk. Um, other times it, it can be that, um, there simply aren't very many options in a particular location. And uh, I mean, I, we, we, we once were opening a station in a location where it was literally true that every customs broker on in that location was, was part of the same investigation into corruption. So there, there was not a customs broker in this place that wasn't being investigated for uh, a, a particular corruption scheme. So given that, um, we, we uh, opted for one that um, was well recommended by parties that we trusted. And then um, we investigated ourselves you know, somewhat what had happened in the big picture case. But the biggest thing that I did was really spend a lot of time talking to this person. And it goes back to what I said before. I, I think I convinced him that United was so uh, obsessed with this risk that no matter no matter what his team would do otherwise, I, I felt like he would think it wasn't worth it to do anything with us. And, uh, you know, Obviously, you can never be sure that you've completely mitigated a risk, but um, spending time with 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 a third party and stressing our focus um, seems helpful. You know, other than other than when um, when there's actually a past misconduct, um, you know, we'll often get involved if uh, there are things that we don't understand about what the third party is doing for us. Um, if, uh, if there's a connection to government that, you know, might, might be okay, but we want to understand what it is. Um, 
if we don't understand something about the, uh, the, the payment process, you know, exactly how do we know what we're paying the third party for, you know, those kinds of issues. We'll, we'll just try to dive in deeper with either our own United folks or um, somebody at the third party. It's so interesting just to hear about your personal involvement. Uh, so I'm guessing that the remediation process, it's really situation by situation as opposed to just operating off a standard playbook. Yes, yes. And um, yeah, that's very true. And, you know, the um, the challenges can be so specific to different places. Um, you know, we might have an approval process where certain third-party invoices have to be approved by people here in Chicago who really know how to look for them and look at them and look for risks. But in some parts of the world, things have to happen so fast and the time zones don't allow it. So then we'll put a special process in place for that particular location. Um, We try to be very um, uh, creative in response to the specific issues that are in front of us. And when you guys have a red flag come up in your screening process, do you ever escalate that into an enhanced due diligence process where you, you know you're bringing in an analyst to drive the investigation? What, what we're most likely to do is um, involve our own United teams, whether it's internal audit, if that's what's more appropriate, or um, our you know our internal security teams. Um, I've been at United for for four years and I haven't had a situation where a third party investigation has required say outside investigators or outside counsel but have had them where you know we traveled with our internal audit team um, you know to do a a deep dive into records at a third party's um, facilities to understand what had happened whether there had been wrongdoing um Certainly something could be large enough to escalate to outside, but I'll knock on wood that that hasn't happened um, in my time here. And you've, you know, you've mentioned a bit about the travel you've done with United. Um, just with United flying to over 120 destinations internationally, you guys are operating in locations with a variety of business cultures. So how does this impact United's anti-bribery and corruption training, both for employees and third parties? Well, it, it's it's interesting because um, there are certain things, there are certain areas where you want to consider the culture and make sure that you adapt to it. And then there are areas where the hard message is that you can't adapt to it because it's not, it's not, uh, um, it's not okay for American companies to uh, participate in certain kinds of traditional, traditional contact, conduct. So, for something like if you're in a culture where it is um, traditional to give New Year's gifts and it's actually kind of rude not to give a New Year's gift in a business setting, that's not a problem for us. That's, you know, it needs to be, it needs to follow all of the regular United rules. It can't be lavish. It can't be, uh, it can't appear to be given in connection with something that we're trying to get from a government official or anything like that. But that's something that we will um, manage, suggest appropriate kind of gifts that we can give. You know, it's always better to give things that are um, United branded. You know, no, no, nobody, 
nobody ever, I think, really was bribed by a, a United baseball cap or, or calendar or anything like that. Um, and I do remind people that that doesn't mean you can give away like $300 headphones with a little United thing on them and then say, oh, but it was just a branded product. You know, it, it still needs to be, it still needs to be um, of a reasonable size. So in, in areas like that, we really try to understand what the culture is and make sure that our folks can um, can make that work. But, you know, obviously at the opposite extreme, if, if you're in a place where the culture is, you know, there's no... There's no legal way to expedite processes, and everybody expedites price processes by paying a bribe to the official. We just can't do that. And um, we have to sometimes just wait for things and hope that by doing that enough, um, we can, you know, we, we can make it clear that it's it, that United's not available um, for, for, uh, for making those kind of arrangements with people. It's, um, it's, I haven't heard of any real situations where um, we know that we were held up for something for a long time because of, because of not uh, paying a bribe. I have heard of some stories of, you know, certain products of our own that we were waiting for sitting in customs in some country. And we did, you know, we're, we weren't sure whether something inappropriate was being asked, but it seemed like maybe. So we just waited. Um, and, uh, you know, it makes me very happy when I, when I hear those stories, you know, and, and, and then there are sort of in between categories where in some countries um, it's traditional to give large amounts of cash as a wedding gift and, um, and I will sometimes might get a request of, you know, I'm invited to this wedding of a government official and, you know, I'd like, I'd like on behalf of United to give them this large cash gift. And even though I understand that that's the tradition of the culture, I will say no to that. I'll say, if you're good enough friends with this person that you want to give a traditional gift, that's fine. But United can't give a cash gift to a government official. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned government officials, just because I'd imagine with so many airlines being state-owned and you know governments playing a role in managing airports, that's got to be a pain point for United. Um, well, I, I don't know if it's a pain point, but it's definitely a, a constant point. Um, you know, and many airports around the world are are government-owned, and you know, obviously, um, those are those are our everyday interactions and. One of the one of the challenges is keeping that front and center for our employees because you know everybody knows that when you um, you know are dealing with getting certain kinds of licenses and permits et cetera you're dealing with the government but I think people can forget that the people that they deal with every day at the airports are often government employees also um, the uh, uh, again try to be reasonable that um, if if there are people that we interact with every day in regular business ways, um, something like buying somebody a cup of coffee is is not a bribe. Um, and you know we, we don't we, we don't sweat that really small stuff, but in the big picture, it's important to remember and um, and I, I think, in the U.S. too, um, many airports are government-owned, and 
it can be difficult for our employees to remember that. And the last thing I wanted to touch on was just while I was prepping for our chat, I found it so interesting to learn about United's pivot from flying passengers to cargo in just one week at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. So how did your team have to adjust your existing TPRM program? So um, it was interesting. I mean, one thing is we ha- we did have a cargo program before. So, you know, I, I know United is very proud of how, how nimble the company was during, during the pandemic. And what they were able to do was you know, take a program that have, was a relatively small part of our business and make it into a, a much larger part. Many of the third-party relationships for that were actually already in place. So we didn't have a ton of new screening or, or anything like that. We were definitely concerned about um, understanding what new risks might might exist in in this world and you know interestingly we were feeling that our 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 bribery and corruption risks in passenger sales were way down because there was essentially there was no business for people to even fight over so that there was sort of nothing over there and in in cargo on the other hand there was this tremendous amount of new business um and Interestingly, I mean, my main focus is making sure that no one's doing anything wrong on behalf of the company. So paying a bribe on behalf of the company, that's 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 the worst possible case. I think that United was in a position w- with uh, Cargo where we had no temptation to do something like pay a bribe because we actually had almost more business, as I understand it, coming to Cargo than than we could than we could manage. So um, so. Uh, did not see a lot of new third-party risk related to it. We did see new kinds of government partnerships. Um, you know, United uh, helped move a lot of vaccine that the U.S. helped to provide to other countries. So we partnered with the with the government in areas like that. That was a place where um, we wanted to be very sure that we understood what the relationships were, what the risks were. Um, but the... Uh, the increased cargo was was overall very very positive and i think less less risky than i first thought it would be that was my first thought was what new risks are here and the more i looked at it i thought we are we are so busy selling this space on the plane loading the planes flying stuff someplace um i i think more covid risks more covid related risks probably just came from the shifting regulations under COVID. So in terms of, you know, whether passengers needed to be vaccinated before they flew into a certain place or before vaccines, whether passengers had to have um, proof that they were going to stay in a quarantine hotel when they landed in a certain country and and keeping track of those regulations and, and making sure that, um, you know, there there was there was no risk of um, trying to do anything inappropriate if the regulations weren't properly met, because you know that's that is always a that is always a huge risk that if regulations are changing or unclear, you can make a mistake, and then you're in a in a situation where there are compliance risks. And we're seeing you know headlines daily across industries um, discussing supply chain issues. What sort of supply chain related challenges are currently on your radar? Um, 
So for 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 me, um, su- supply chain is um, the, first of all that you know the main one of the one of the main supply chain issues we we would worry about as an airline would be getting um, affordable fuel, as you can imagine, um, and you know that's an area for me where, as a compliance person. Uh, the main thing that I do is make sure that we are comfortable with where the fuel is coming from. Um, that's an area where we do a lot of sanctions checks, um, as you can imagine, and you know that that will probably be only only increasing. Um, and from a supply chain standpoint, we have, you know, we have uh, policies, of course, that look at the ethics of companies in our supply chain to make sure that we're not dealing with companies that are involved in any kind of inappropriate labor, trafficking, et cetera. But compared to companies that make things, um, we're a service company and our main resource is really people. You know, our our human capital is the main um, supply that we look at. Uh, A lot of companies, a lot of kinds of businesses, of course, during COVID had problems with that, not being able to, um, to find the employees they needed and one of the things that United has done that um, really impresses me is trying to build the uh, pipeline for the kind of human capital that that they want to have, and especially for for a more diverse um, work population, which is uh, it's not it's not the compliance side of my job, but it's definitely the ethics side of my job when I look at that and. Um, the company has done a lot in the last couple of years. It's created a pilot school um, that it has a commitment that of the pilots graduating, half of them will be women or minorities. Um, it's very involved in um, uh, mentoring and supporting pilot and aviation programs in historically black universities and colleges. So that kind of that kind of work in creating a kind of um, supply chain of people is probably bigger at United than the supply chain of materials that some kind of companies have. And that's such an interesting angle, the supply chain of people. I'm really glad you brought that up. Thank you so much, Nancy, for joining RiskWatch. I really enjoyed learning more about you um, and also just exploring third-party risk issues facing the airline industry. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you.